that are that are fundamental. And so it was a very good exposition on, uh, on Christian unity. But tonight we're going to look at the same idea here in Psalm 133, which is uh, which is the Old Testament the expression of uh, of of unity and the beauty of unity. It's something that we don't often uh, think about as much as we should. Uh, but the unity of God's people is a rich blessing. Now, you can, it, it doesn't take you long to think about that in any real, uh, 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 you know, uh, serious way. It, it, it's just a very uh, simple look at the world will tell you that, whether it comes to business, uh, whether it comes to uh, a, a group. Um, a, you can think of all the your favorite bands you know through the years that split up because there was no common vision of unity uh, of where they wanted to take the group or where the corporation was going or you can think of unity in an army uh, and uh, we see that played out again and again as armies march down the street and their every step is in sync with the other. And that is to show the importance of unity. It's amazing to watch some of these armies as they march down the street. They're like a flock of blackbirds. They just instinctively move in the same way. And they, they it's amazing. They'll turn their head and they'll, they'll be walking along. And I'm not going to do it. I don't have much face to kind of uh, imitate that up here. But uh, I would otherwise. But you, you can see how important unity is. And especially in armies, they will, they will show you that because it is a matter of life and death when it comes to the, the, the battlefield. And of course, the the Bible couches the Christian life in those terms that uh, we are to put on the full armor of God, that we are to act as soldiers of the cross. Paul uh, calls Timothy to be a soldier, a good soldier for Jesus Christ. He talks about the devil going about as a roaring lion. And so, unity among God's people is so important that we're unified around the truth, that we're unified around the common cause, which is the kingdom of God and the propagation of the gospel. And so, that, that is of the utmost importance. And so, unity is a desirable thing. It's a thing we ought to seek after. And we saw that in some measure, didn't we, in Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is verse 6. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I would say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And so we see that idea of unity. Common goal. Jesus says a house divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, and, and so it, it's something which ought to be sought. It's something that ought to be expressed. It's something that ought to be realized. And that's part of what we want to see tonight. Just that the, the unity that Christians have is something that is not so much to be sought, but, but more expressed and realized. The Bible more, more often than not says, express the unity that you have. There are divisions, but you, you ought not to show, the, show those divisions. You ought to express a unity because you are one. As Paul says, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So he is saying that 
and so on, says that's not right because you are united in Christ. And so you shouldn't you shouldn't be going on the way you are because of who you are and what you are in Christ. Charles Spurgeon says that Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It's his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. Since union is strength, he does not, he does his best to promote separation. And I think that over these last couple of years, COVID has uh, done its uh, a, a, a greater deal of damage beyond even the physical damage that it's done to people. It has wreaked havoc in churches. Where people who, uh, uh, who disagree on some of these matters find themselves divided. Churches have been split all over the place for the last couple of years. And it's been sad to see. And this is where Christians have to move from a superficial expression of unity. It's easy to talk about unity, isn't it? When times are good. But what, what happens when times get uh, uh, difficult? When COVID comes, and when one person believes something different about COVID than another person, about masks, or about uh, getting the vaccine, or about uh, whether you're going to keep your job or, or, or not, or all of these things, what, what, what direction should we take as a church, and what, what should we not do as a church, all of these things uh, are, are real tests today for the church. And so that's why. Uh, the psalmist here is saying how good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. Are we able to take it to a real level? Or are we mocking God and just uh, uh, being very superficial? Say, you know, we couldn't take it to the next level. And that's where we need as a congregation, as a, as a, as, as a Christian church more broadly, to be able to say, okay, are we serious about this or not? Are we, can we find ways of accepting one another's differences and yet move forward in a way that doesn't destroy the church? And so I think these words are, are, are very timely. And so he says that, uh, three things about uh, Christian unity, that it is pleasant, that it is precious, and that it is life-giving, that it is empowered. These are the three things that, uh, that the psalmist points out to us here, that it is pleasant. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Notice that word, behold. In other words, when we, whenever you say behold something, when you behold something, you look at it, you gaze at it, you fix your attention on it, you see that there's something attractive about it, and so you look at it. And you, whenever the word is used in the Bible, it's used in a way that we are to fix our attention upon that and see that there's something rare here. So we pause, we we gaze upon the object. We behold it. Behold. And this is what God has said. This is not what David is saying. This is not conclusions that David is coming to. 
These are the words of the Holy Spirit. This is God's view of things. God looks with approval, and he asks us to consider how beautiful and pleasant unity among God's people is. Now, he says brothers here, but of course, he's, we take that to be all people within a congregation. We see it's desirable at the night before Jesus dies, don't we? What, again, think about what's on a person's mind just before they die. If we were to die, if we were to have one more day to live, what would be upon our hearts and minds? What would we say? Well, if you go to, go to John 17, you find that last prayer that Jesus prayed on this earth when he said, Father, I pray that they might be one as we are one. And so we see again the intensity of God's approval, how God delights in it, how, how God sees it as a pleasant thing. When his own son, with the words that he would use, and Jesus had to be very economical with his words he, in, in what he said, he couldn't waste time because time was short. So what does he say? I pray, Father, that they might be one, that they might express a unity, that no matter what the world throws at them, I know that they are able to deal with it because they are one. They are not unified. And that is true of ourselves as a church. Unity. We must pray for unity. These are things that we pray for as we move through this pandemic. That we don't demonize other people for the views that they hold. That we don't write people off and just say, oh, they have this view or that view of vaccines or masks or what the government is doing and so on. We can disagree, but we have to, at the end of the day, understand that we're part of God's church and that there is a higher calling in this world that we have. And we have been given the task here as a church in this time and generation to make that goal uh, realized. It is a pleasant thing. Behold, it's a pleasant thing. It's pleasant as well because of its origin. It comes from God. We find in certain parts of the Old Testament that the people had a mind to build, or that the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. In other words, it comes from God. When God's Spirit came upon the people, there was a unity. That's what happens in, in times of real spiritual blessing. God blesses with a common mind. It's, a, it's a, 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 an expression of cursedness when people are divided against one another, isn't it? It's a, an expression of, 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 of uh, discord and that, uh, that when people cannot see eye to eye. But when people are unified, People are able to say, my goals are the same as your goals. Oh, are we different? Yes, absolutely. We're all different here tonight. Young and old, male and female. Many, many differences. But hopefully tonight we share a common goal. You share the goal of the church. You share the goal of the kingdom of God. Do we delight in these things? Its origin is from God. God gives that unity. And it's unity uh, around his 
gospel. Where does God tell us to find our unity with one another? In Christ. Speaking the truth in love. The truth about what? Truth in general? The sun comes up, the sun goes down. That's a true statement. And do we find our unity around that? Do we find our common goals as a church around that? Not necessarily. No. The goals are the, 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 the truth about Jesus. The truth as it is in Christ, as the Bible tells us. And when that is not there, it's not true Christian unity. There cannot be unity with other Christians who deny the deity of Jesus, that the Bible is the word of God, that, that we are saved exclusively through the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When these things are denied, we have no unity any longer. When the fundamentals of the gospel are rubbish and trash, it doesn't matter if the building next door has a steeple on it. It doesn't matter if they have pews. It doesn't matter if they have stained glass windows. It doesn't matter if the person standing in the pulpit dresses well with a nice gown or whatever it is. It's uh, it, it, it is unity in the Word of God, in the Gospel. The Bible doesn't talk about unity at any cost. Not at all. We start with where our unity comes from. That's where we start. Where are we unified? In what are we unified? We're unified in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. That's where we come together. And that's the wonder of the, the New Testament where you see people from, you know, in the book of Acts, from Galatia, and uh, from uh, uh, different parts of the world, from Egypt, from Rome, from Asia Minor, from all these different uh, parts of the, of the uh, world, different cultures, different languages, and they all come together in Jerusalem. And they're all speaking of the great wonders of God. They're all unified. Thousands of people in one place. How do they achieve such an amazing unity instantaneously like that? Because it came from God. Our unity is in God. Our unity is not in government or government decrees or how we view the pandemic, or any of these things. Our unity is first and foremost in Christ. That's where our, the origins are. Paul says in Galatians, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. In Ephesians 2 he says, in whom you are built together. Where's the unity? In him. In him you are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Again, he says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. Why is Christian unity pleasant? Because of where it comes from. It comes from the God of beauty, the God of, who is unified. The God who is three yet one. 
and expresses his purposes at all times through the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together at every level of creation, redemption, of glory, everything. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that same unity now is expressed within the body of Christ as believers now, united in that same God, seek to express that unity. A.W. Tozer gives a wonderful example. He says, 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. 100 different pianos. You know, one different, we've got one piano here. <laughs> but we had 100 different pianos. They were, if they're all tuned to the one tuning fork, then they are truly united. Not by each other. They're not unified by the piano next to it, but by the one tuning fork that unites them all. Tozer goes on to say, so each one looking to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than to one another. As we look to Christ, what is going to unite us? Is it going to be our views on masks or vaccines or whatever else is going on in society? Your politics? Well, it's not masks. It can be politics that comes along. It can be any number of things that down through the years we can be divided over. No, but if we individually are each looking to Christ, that's where our unity is going to lie. That's what Paul says in Philippians, for example. There were people who weren't getting along. Euodia and Syntyche, two women who couldn't agree. And yet Paul is emphasizing, encourage them to agree in the Lord, in Christ. Let that be their starting point. Not getting together over coffee and saying, okay, this is not good. Let's think about things that will really, you know, really, what, what do we have in common? music do you like? What books do you read? You know, uh, let's really be thinking here. Maybe it's quite the movies. It just, like, that's not it. They were to be united in the Lord. To start talking about what Jesus did for them. So you can read in Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he made himself nothing. And he humbled himself unto death. And you all the Sintaki are talking about these things and say, how can we be disunited when Jesus has gone to such great lengths to die for us and give us such, uh, 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 such an inheritance? See, we're uniting in him. We're finding our common ground in him. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father, one baptism, all these things. pleasant because it comes from God. It's the handiwork of God upon us. God makes it beautiful. We're able to look at that kind of unity where people are able to sit down together, being so different, and yet be of one mind and say, where does it come from? And you can say, it's got the fingerprints of God all over. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. How good Nice it is when brothers.
as well together in unity. It's from the Lord. It's also precious. It's like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collars of his robes. This is a beautiful picture. It was a special blend of oil that the Old Testament speaks of that was poured extravagantly down over the head of Aaron. So you can take, it's not just like a little sprinkle. It's like uh, taking a, a big pitcher of oil. And you can see this man standing there, can't you? In all of his priestly robes. And he's got these stones. He's got the, the breastplate and all the stones representing the, 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 the tribes of Israel. And he's, his priestly garments are there. And his long beard and his mustache and gray hair. Somebody takes this big pitcher of oil. <laughs> and there's my sound effect. It's drenching his head. It's dripping down over his face, over his old gray beard, dripping down onto his robes and going right to his feet. It's precious. Again, Spurgeon says, it is a holy thing, the oil, that is, and so again, I'm sorry, it's unity. Unity is a holy thing. And so again, it's like the oil of consecration, which was to be only used in the Lord's service. So Spurgeon says, what a sacred thing must brotherly love be when it can be compared to oil, which must never be poured on any man, but on the Lord's high priest alone. It's that precious, it's that valuable, that it's consecrated for the high priest alone. His anointing, his setting apart, it wasn't every day either. It was the one day when he was set apart. That was the only time in his life. Same with the kings, same with the prophets. They were anointed with oil, not every day, but the one time. And that oil was therefore precious. It was a precious blend. It's valuable. And therefore, Spurgeon is saying, how valuable must Christian unity be then? How, how wonderful must it be when it's compared to the precious oil of the consecration? It's fragrant. That's one thing about the deep oil. And so the unity of God's people is a rich perfume. And for them it is pleasant to God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans uh, 15. And in chapter 5. In verse 5 rather. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fragrance that goes up. Of glory to God. How? Because they are living in such harmony with one another and in accord with where? With what? With Christ Jesus. Again, going back to the origin of it. It's fragrant. Jesus says again in the 
passage that uh, uh, we uh, made reference to in John chapter 17 and in verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a beautiful thing. It's a testimony. It's fragrant. To the glory of God, when Christians get together in, in, in unity, when they're unified, one purpose, it's a testimony to the world. They smell the fragrance of that. They say that's a beautiful thing, and it testifies to the God who indeed gives that unity. It speaks of completeness. Notice what he says. It's like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's something that he's saturated with. And he's soaked in this oil from head to toe. Comes from the head, but it moves down to the feet. As another has said, its way is downward. And it represents the Spirit who comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. You remember on the day of Pentecost? What does Jesus do? He pours out the Spirit on the church. And the Bible says there that this gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to Jesus to give to the church because he is ascended at the right hand of the Father. So the oil of anointing comes from the head and pours Christ down upon his church. And that unity then in the book of Acts is expressed in a very wonderful way, which I think bears looking at. In Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. This is, this is the offshoot of what happened when the Spirit of God was poured in. They were all together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple, Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food, food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful expression of what happens when the oil of anointing comes from the head down onto the body of Christ, uniting the church from head to toe, from top to bottom? It just connects and comes. And, and, and brings the whole body together. And so the Spirit of God flows from Jesus, who is our head, to his church. 
One person has said again, just as the unity of Israel was compared to the anointing oil that flowed from Aaron's head down to his garments, so the spiritual unity of the church consists of the Holy Spirit who anointed Christ and now overflows to every member of his body. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now listen to what he says. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. Again, consider the beauty of that statement. Jews and Greeks. The Jews would look at the Greeks and say, they're dogs. They're unclean. They're dirty. But here they are in the church, sitting side by side, accepting one another. Slaves and free. To, to be a slave owner and, and to, to have someone in your household sitting side by side, accepting them as one in Christ. Men and women, all equal before the Lord in dignity. That comes from the Spirit that brings people together. That, I mean, we get so used to these things. We hear them. But we don't realize, we often forget what it was like in the first century for these walls to come down. Jews and Samaritans, slaves and free, men and women accepted on equal footing. It was incredible. It was revolutionary. And even some of the leaders within the early church had a hard time with it. Peter had a hard time with it. Many other people who were believers struggled. God was bringing in a radical unity. And they came to the place where they just had to throw up their hands and say, this is of the Lord. We can't deny it. It's the same spirit that saved these people. God has filled these people. We can't deny it. He's doing a work in them. We're, we're, gonna, we're going to accept them as one. Didn't matter what their culture was, didn't matter, you know, what their language was. We have to accept them because God has put his mark on them. And if God has put his mark on them, we must express that unity that God has given. And then lastly, verse 3, it's like dirt, the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. From there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, light forevermore. Hermon was a mountain way up in the north of Israel. And it was known for its lusciousness of plant life and so on, because there was a heavy dew that came off the mountains, a heavy rainfall. And seemingly that, that dew, that rainfall, moisture made its way south to Jerusalem and blessed the vegetation there, the land there which so desperately needed the moisture. Again, you have the picture of moving from north to south, uniting the whole, the dew that comes from the north and being a blessing to the south. 
He's in many ways he's using two different images to say the same thing. We get the image again of that blessing coming from Christ upon his own church. So that regardless of how difficult life was, how difficult the pilgrimage was, and again, we need to remind ourselves that these are songs of ascent, songs of going up to Jerusalem. Regardless of how different people were, their backgrounds, their lives, yet the, the dew of, 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 of unity was a blessing. It empowered them. That unity is like the dew that refreshes the grass and the plant life and gives refreshment and empowerment, just as dew in the morning does, just as rainfall does. And what he's saying is that that same dew that came from Mount Hermon that blessed the land of Israel is like Christian unity. In all of our hardships, in all of our differences, when we're able to be unified, we find strength in one another. I've mentioned before, and I believe it's true, it's just what you want to hear a minister say, I believe it to be true, but I think it is, and you can look it up, you can Google it when you go home, that the hand is 35 times stronger as it works together than any individual digit. You would think, well, maybe it's five times stronger. It's, got, it's working five. No, it's 35 times stronger when it works together than each finger, each digit working by itself. That's quite something. So can you see and understand why the psalmist here is saying that unity is a beautiful thing. It's pleasant. Because it is a witness to the world. It is from God. It brings the church together. It's refreshing. It's empowering. It goes above and beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And so, friends, we need to be thinking tonight about that these words which are a reflection of the heart of God, reminds them. Unity is precious. Unity is empowering. Unity is pleasant. Jesus prayed for it the night before he died. It was on his mind. It was in his heart. He knew that his church would be able to endure anything if they were united unified. We can endure anything if we're unified. If we see one another, not through the lens of COVID or masks or vaccines or whatever the flavor of the day is, your political flavor, but through the gospel. We accept one another because of who we are in Christ. And that it is something that our Lord and Savior wants us. He wants us to pursue it to the best of our ability. And so as we think about this song, as we think about the, 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 the high premium that God places upon unity, 
and how that has been expressed in the Bible from time to time. And though it, 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 it wasn't expressed in other times, ugly times, yet when the Spirit of God moved, it was expressed itself in amazing ways, like in the book of Acts. We have to stand back and therefore consider what must my view of Christian unity be? How must I work toward it? How, must I, how much should I pray toward that end? But the beauty, the pleasantness, the, the savor, the, 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 the empowering impact of Christian unity be reflected in our lives and in our church. Bless God. Lord, as we close tonight, we thank you that you have given us a unity here tonight, that we have come tonight to this church with one common goal, and that is to learn about you, to learn about your good gifts to us in Jesus. Father, may it be these that unite us, that despite our differences in many other ways, Father, that we would be united under the, the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.